0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Brett Putter, the founder and CEO of Culture Gene and the author of two books, Culture Dex Decoded and Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. Prior to founding Culture Gene, Brett was the managing partner at a specialist London-based executive search firm where he successfully completed CXO, VP, and director-level searches for over 400 companies. Brett is a contributor to Forbes and Entrepreneur.com, who writes a popular blog on culture-driven companies and is a sought-after speaker. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Brett discuss where many companies get hiring wrong when hiring for culture versus gut instinct, how to really screen for values and behaviors, and best practices for screening candidates from some of the most innovative companies in the world.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today, I'm excited to have Brett Cutter with us. Brett, welcome.
2: Ron, uh, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to chatting with you.
1: We were just chatting two seconds ago. Brett's already impressed with me because I guessed his accent. South African with a touch of English on it with the UK, eh? Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly.
1: So, Brett, you're all the way from Portugal. Must be nice there. How How are things just quickly in Portugal? You're our first guest that's actually... Um, landed in, and, and doing the podcast from Portugal. So I'm curious because I love Portugal.
2: That's good here. We've, um, it's nice and warm, the sun shining, um, which always helps. And um, we've just come out of a pretty uh, intense lockdown a week and a half ago. So it's just nice to stretch your legs a little bit and have a walk on the beach and not, not worry. So, well, still worry, but not, not be worried that you're doing the wrong thing.
1: That's nice. That's gotta be nice. And and hopefully this will all be behind us soon. I was talking to a friend of mine from Australia the other day and, and we were on FaceTime and he was out for a drink and no masks. He said, you wouldn't even know it was here. He was at a 2000 person event. So I was really excited to hear that. You know, it was like, wow, people are moving to the other side. So, well, look, um, so you're the founder of Culture Gene and your latest book, Own Your Culture. I want to chat about those. But first, Brett, let's go back. I love to ask kind of what was the aha moment? Why why this lane? Why is culture so important to you? Where did this start?
2: Yeah. So I'm very fortunate to have found my passion. Um, And this happened about five, five and a half years ago. I was actually running an executive search firm uh, working with high growth companies facing C-level execs, um, mostly Europe and um, U.S. And I was lucky enough to work with three companies almost in a row where the CEOs um, had a very clear understanding of their culture, and because the three companies almost concertinaed, it was like, okay, there's a very different thing happening here. Because I was asked to find candidates that matched the skills and experience and matched the, the job spec, obviously, but all, I was also asked to match, find candidates that had a fit with the values of the company. And that was, that was that was much more difficult from a search perspective. It took us longer to work this out. And it was harder, actually, to find. It's hard enough to find good candidates. Now you've got to find this additional piece.
1: Right. Important and, uh, but challenging, right?
2: Yeah, very challenging. But actually, once we got to the interview stage, it was like, ah, I get it now. This is why it's different. Because you could see the candidates that match from a values perspective, it was almost as if they and the interviewer or the ceo had been dancing tango for 10 years there was just this it was it just was so much smoother and so much um the, in, the interactions were so much better from a candidate's client point of view that I, I went wow and then when the candidates joined i saw the impact that they had both on the culture and on the business and i went okay now i've, I've got i've not seen this before and i i was in search for 16 years and i have never seen the impact before in this way. So then I decided I need to understand this. So started studying, started researching, started reading and also started interviewing. And that's where Own Your Culture, the book came from because I, I interviewed just over 50 CEOs about the tactics, what they do on a day-to-day basis about how to define, embed and manage their culture.
1: So So on the screening, you know, cause, cause of course it's, 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 you know, hiring, recruiting, hiring, screening, onboarding, and then embedding, you know, this is this journey, but let's stay in this lane of screening. Cause, cause this comes up a lot. I, I certainly in my past uh, career being company, which I sold and continue to do this today, this can be one of the biggest challenges as, as you pointed earlier, what did, and, and I want to, I'm going to make a, a, an assumption that the companies that are screening for culture, uh, have uh, a more um, stabilized culture, i.e., they have their values set. It's not, you know, that, that they, they are clear about their values. Am I wrong? When you're going to screen for culture, you at least have to know what your culture is, it's, or else it's literally impossible. Would that be fair?
2: So you're wrong on, a lot, on, on multiple levels, Ron. So tell me. So, so first of all, no, um, people don't, people try and screen for culture, but, and don't have their values defined. So how do you
1: do that? So let's go, let's stay there for a sec. If, because I can tell you, I owned a company and I didn't have my values uh, defined. And so when that, in that space, I had culture, I certainly had a culture from those within arm's length, but I had a national company and I probably had 15 different cultures. So how do I do that?
2: Yeah, so it's impossible to hire for culture fit. It's everybody who says we hire for culture fit. I ask this question can you please accurately define your culture to me? Describe it accurately, please. And I, and I sometimes will get some waffle about mission and vision and values, or I'll get this usual stuff, dynamic, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's completely, it's nonsense. The reason for that is because culture is this um, random combination of good and bad behaviors, norms, habits, principles, beliefs, communication styles, um, procedures, Policies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and processes, and so on, and your values, mission, and vision. So it's this more moving feast of a thing that nobody can accurately describe and is changing all the time. So how can you hire for culture fit? It's impossible. You're actually hiring for gut instinct. You're hiring on intuition.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'm I'm curious because I would um, I would like to pre challenge you on this, but I want to. I'm curious. So let's keep going. So so how do we do it? gut so, instinct, how do you scale that?
2: Well, you can't. And the problem with gut instinct or intuition is it's, it's mine today how I feel. So if I woke up with a hangover because I had, I had two bottles of red wine last night, I'm not feeling up to it. So how I feel that in that moment is based on how I'm going to feel about this person. It's about instinct. It's about feeling versus hiring for values for it. So what I do with my clients, as I said, okay, let's, if you don't have values, let's define your values. The problem with companies is they define their values and they used to stick them up on the wall when we worked in offices and then nothing changed. They tick the box. But what I do with my clients is we define the values and then we define the expected behaviors against them.
1: Yeah, of course.
2: So this is what they mean to us. So let's say one of the values is teamwork. And in my company, the expected behavior is the team always comes first. We design interview questions against those expected behaviors. So the interview question is, when last did you take one for the team and why?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're saying the same thing. So I, I do believe you, yeah, that you can screen for culture. I was going to say that differently. I was going to say that, you know, in our value system, you know, people – need to embrace change. And so we do the same thing. We go back and say, hey, Brett, when was the last ch- change you made in your personal life? It's the last change you made in your professional life. When did you lead change? When did you follow change? And so you're, you're screening for the attribute.
2: Yeah, but the problem with screening, saying you screen for culture means that if you don't understand how to screen for the attribute, you ultimately end up screening for your gut instinct.
1: Oh, I see. I understand what you're saying. Okay, got it.
2: So, culture fit has become a phrase to cover lazy interview technique.
1: Yeah. If, yeah, I, I I see your point. So sorry, let's keep going down the path. So, if someone says, "Okay, we've got an innovative culture," how do we screen for innovative culture? That, you know, that's a value of ours to be innovative for our customers, our clients. How do we screen for innovation?
2: Okay. So, um, what I would so so we don't screen for innovation. Primarily, we do that. Secondarily, I ask you, what does innovation mean to you? Can you talk, Ron? Talk, tell me, tell me about what innovation. How does innovation happen, or how, yeah. what in your company?
1: You know, we want people to be collaborative, come up with new ideas. Uh, you know, to to uh, to drive the company forward. We want big ideas. We want people to um, to give their perspectives and to think outside the box. Um, those things. It's important to have people that, that think like that here for our for the success of our company.
2: Okay, um, so I take away from that collaborative, new ideas, big ideas, perspective outside the box. Um, so the so the so, so the behavior is the the value is innovative. The behavior is um, we 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 collab we collaborate. Um, uh, we, use, we, use, uh, uh, um, we use our knowledge and expertise and communication to collaborate effectively. And the interview question from that could be, tell me about a time that you struggled to collaborate in an environment and what the circumstances were. And what, and, and what were you trying to achieve through that collaboration? I might change the question a little bit and say, tell me about a time you were trying to collaborate with somebody on a new idea, but that person wouldn't allow you to do that. Your boss blocked you on the idea. What did you do? How did you overcome that? Mm-hmm. So I'm going from collaboration to idea to innovation. I'm pulling it into one interview question where the person has to actually tell me about an actual time. And I will then go and say, okay, you did this and this and this. Tell me how you thought that through. What was the impact of your conversations with X and Y? Why did you approach that person? What was your thinking? You know, I can then go deeper and deeper and deeper into the onion. Mm
1: -hmm. And once
2: I've interviewed this person, I will score them out of 10 for the answer to that question on vividness of answer and believability.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Keep going.
2: And then the next person I interview, I ask exactly the same question and score them for vividness and believability on that answer. And then I've got data on how vivid or believable these two candidates were. Mm -hmm. And that then feeds back up to how innovative they are.
1: It's funny. I thought you were going to go to... You know, I know we're just role playing here, but but innovation, I think, is an important part of our culture. And where we go is so you've got you know what that means, then the behavior, and then I always say the the attribute, and I don't know if I'm using the right word that drives that behavior. So so we always screen for how curious someone is. We look at how if I always kind of think if they're not curious, it's hard to be innovative. Maybe we're wrong on that.
2: I don't know. I think you're, you're completely right. If you had said. When I asked you, tell me about your, culture, your your company and tell me about innovation. If curiosity had come up, I may have hooked onto what that as a question. Mm-hmm. So
1: in uh, that- i would say that curiosity is a function of innovation. It's the it—that's the thought that gets the outcome of being innovative. You know, I guess that's how we break down. If that's the behavior, well, what's the underlying action that you know that that drives that behavior?
2: Yeah. I, I, and, and so what I try and do is I try and make, I try and make it, um, we, what we'll do is we'll take one value and we'll define four or five behaviors mm-hmm. of which curiosity in your case is important. So curiosity would be in there somewhere. Right. And I'd build the question off that. Right. Um, because
1: you know, curiosity does drive collaboration. I would said that word, and I see that you went down that path. But yeah, yeah. Got it.
2: yeah. It, it, yeah. So, so basically, I, I you know, you gave me a couple of words, and then I took went down a path and created created an interview question from that. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting exercise this because the 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 question that you create, whether it's around curiosity or new ideas. They, they're actually not that easy to create. You've got to create a question that allows you to dig deeper and allows you to, that allows the person to describe a behavior ultimately, or a situation they are in where you can explore that behavior of curiosity further.
1: Well, the one thing that you said that stuck out and, and, and I assume it's, it's was on, done on purpose is tell me a time, right? Because. I think when we interview people, a lot of times we give hypo- hypothetical and then we're just talking about all hypotheticals. Uh, you're saying, tell me a time because we wanna know how that person showed up in the past, correct?
2: Tell me a time, give me an example. When did this happen? It's gotta be specific because it's very hard to lie. I can, if, if, you, if you talk hypothetical with me, I can, you know, and if I'm, I'm a great, if I'm really good at hot air, I can give you a lot of it. But if you ask me about a specific time, I either had it or I didn't, and I behaved well or not. And I will and as an interviewer, I will evaluate that. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And so 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 what's the what's an exercise that companies can go through to figure out what we are screening for and then the questions? Cause that that can you're right. That's very gray. It's not black and white. It's not off the shelf. What does it look like?
2: So for me, for me it's 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 go through an exercise of defining your values as a group, as a team. So if you're a team of of 30, try and involve everybody. If you're a team of a thousand, choose a, a, a selection of people that represent the company and get them in a room and go through the process. And once you've got those values, make sure that you've got a balance between current values. In other words, this is what we currently do that we want to continue to do and do better and aspirational values that are a stretch. I try and, I try and get, get a good match of the two around four or five and then go from there to then explore the behaviors where you start the sentence with we. We do this or we do that. And that gives you, so what I typically do, I use my software to do this. So the software help me define the current values, the aspirational values. We then combine the two and look at the overlaps of current and aspirational.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then we'll shortlist down to, Five, ultimately work on what those values are. And then the software will take you through the process of we do this. So you, at the, at the end of the day, you have, if you've got eight or 10 people, you've got 150 different behaviors associated with five values that you then cluster down and shorten to four or five behaviors. And what's really important is to remember that the initial set, this initial, these initial values and behaviors are not set in stone because they, they're the first pass of this but they're much better than allowing your instinct to do the job for you.
1: Right, 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 right. And so where, where else do we have to watch out? So where else are companies getting it wrong when we screen for our culture, our values? Where are you seeing it through these interviews? Maybe those did, that didn't make the book, where, where are companies getting it wrong?
2: So companies now are, are, are treating interviews the same as when they met face-to-face. So, you know, people are still doing interviews like this and they're somehow trying to intuit this person's good enough or not. And if you've, if you, so I've done a lot of research into, because my, my software is originally designed for distributed teams. I I actually went and dug into GitLab, GitHub, um, Automatic, Buffer, Hotjar, and a bunch of other remote companies. And one of the things remote companies do is instead of, instead of, interviewing candidates when they when they get to a shortlist they work with candidates so because that's the way you get to understand can this person work with us or not so they'll do they'll do the filtering get down to three candidates and then they'll design a task and the task will last for one to two weeks it's not a short task every candidate knows they're going through this and the task is look at, look at our funnel as a product manager, look at our funnel, work out what's going wrong with it, and then present to us your solution. And to do that, you can speak to somebody in marketing, somebody in engineering, somebody in sales, and me. And you work on the next, for over the next two weeks on this, interacting with us, and then you present to us. And now we can evaluate you on the quality of the work you do, how you do it, your, your personality, your nature, the, your accuracy, et cetera, et cetera, versus making a judgment on a screen like this. Mm. So in,
1: it, it's interesting. So you're saying basically a real life case study of the challenge that the company has today.
2: Exactly. And, and companies like Hotjar actually pay. They, they'll pay you for two days consulting. They, they, know oh. how much, they know how much work you're doing for it if you want this job.
1: Well, wow, that's interesting. They'll pay you. That's, that's interesting. That's a debatable point, but I like it because, they're, 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 you know, let's assume that that person's already working. So they have to fit this in with their own current job in life, right? They're working somewhere else. So you you have to pull them away. They really need to want this job if they're going to take some focus around from away from their current job and family. So so they enhance that with paying them.
2: Well, and they, and they just say, look, you may not get this job. So we want to show you the respect of, the, of, of we value. I like
1: that. And what about, you know, we, we talk a lot about this, Brett, we talk about this knockout round, right? I was talking uh, in front of a group of entrepreneurs yesterday and when you have questions and I I just refer to these as knockout rounds. So right now the knockout round question before you get to culture, really, in some cases are, can you legally work in this country? Uh, Are you 21 years of age? So you can serve alcohol. Do you have a driver's license because you need to drive? And you know, one of our advisors from Southwest Airlines, we were talking about, you know, their strategy, and they they had operational knockout round questions to that that first round. So they'll say, you know, for those who handle um, the luggage, they'll say, hey Brett, you know, can you legally work in the United States? You know, three or four questions, blah blah blah. Do you have a criminal history? And then they'll say, are you open to working overtime? And if the answer is no, it's a knockout, you're gone because planes are late and you have to work overtime. What are your thoughts on these knockout questions and drawing, you know, back to what you need, whether it's cultural or operational, to that knockout round?
2: Yeah, I think if you I think the um, people can learn most skills. I mean, I'm not gonna learn to be a become a, a brain surgeon overnight, but I can learn a lot, I can learn a lot of things, but I can't learn to match or fit your values. So, so one of the knockout round questions that I work with my, with, with my clients is actually evaluate value split quite early. Do it again, but put, put in a couple of questions that just demonstrate this person matches the values or not as a knockout point. Because you don't want to go through six stages of interview and then do the values evaluation and they don't match your values. So give me an example
1: of that. What would that look like?
2: It would it would be an example of one of the questions I've just given you. It would be very early on, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, when, uh, you know, we we believe in we're candid. You know, we we believe in open communication. Candid. Um, I would I would put in a question there that that question. You know, in uh, when when last did you withhold information from your team and why?
1: But that's open-ended, right? This knockout is—I think the—the the idea of these knockouts are yes, no, left, right, stay, gone. You know, so I wouldn't call that a knockout question because it's—that's not going to be—it's going to be tough to be data-driven. Data can't tell you that's an open-ended question, right? Yeah, that sounds like an interview question. I
2: think I think there are layers, there are levels of this. You, if you are hiring for um, huge volume. If you if you're doing volume, or you're doing you know this, you would need somebody with a certain level of technical skill or sales skill. I think it's critical because otherwise you just waste time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there are some roles where somebody can learn on the job, and that's great. Then you then the knockout the knockout is more about their capability to learn rather than their capability to do. But I, I think knocking candidates out really early is is, is vital. Um, the, the remote work companies I've studied use a lot of. Um, so there's a company called Cloud Factory um, who I interviewed, and they they have five questions that you have to answer to get through to the through the first stage. Right. These these questions are not easy questions. They they they're questions that actually de- so once again it's not knockout per se, mm. but if you don't apply yourself to answering those questions, it's very clear and it knocks you straight out. Mm hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's you can't it's not just a one line answer.
1: Yeah, we, we, we did a similar thing. I've got a, a company that does affordable uh, living throughout Canada and we're getting into the US and um, and we we were looking for accountants. And so we had a knockout question very quick. And then we moved to I think what you're talking about, which said, look, you know, um, late rent collection Uh, Late rent collection is a challenge for our company. Here's where, here's where we want to get to. Here's what we've tried. Here's what has worked and not worked. How would you solve this problem? And we probably had 35 people in an open forum online before we met anybody solve that problem. Uh, Those who didn't fill it out, they were done. Uh, Those who did fill it out, we, you know, through that and some other questions, we probably shortlisted five, but we had information that we applied to the business from 35, very smart people. So I love that kind of hybrid work your way through, through problems to see how smart someone is and and what they're willing to commit to um, out of the gates.
2: Yeah. I, the the other side of that um, knockout question is the value answer. Um, So, so every interview that I hold or every interview I'm involved in, in some way, there's a question that I script that is going to give me, that's going to help me improve the, my business. And it's an area that, you know, the area that we're struggling in on area of, of opportunity. And I will ask a question around that and then explore that.
1: Yeah, can you give, exactly. give us an example, a live example, Brett? What would what would be an example of that?
2: So, an example of that would be um, where we're building we're, we're building a piece of um, uh, a new uh, feature onto our software platform, um, and this is this is this involves audio, um, and so we need we need we don't need to employ somebody full time, but we need. Um, Uh, somebody who knows how to do this and has done this before. So the the interview process gets us to that stage. We know that these three people can do the job. Mm -hmm. And then what we'll do is say, okay, here's the challenge. How would you solve this to all? three? And actually one of them is going to come up with a real value to us. We may hire them, but we actually could get value from the other two as well. Right. So it's about understanding this is our area of opportunity and we want people, smart people to apply their minds to this and share it with us as part of the interview process because we could take something away from that. And actually, if the question is well-structured, we will take something away from it.
1: Yeah, and you know we've done this multiple times. I'm curious your thoughts on this, but we'll do a two-tiered approach in the interview. One will be a past problem. Will be a past problem which we've solved and we present it like a case study to someone in the interview and we'll see, did they solve it you know, not as well as we did the same, or even have a better way to solve that past issue. And we love those questions. Then we move into current real life problems that we haven't solved. What do you think of that? Is that a waste of time or is that a good strategy?
2: No, I like, I, it depends on how much time you have. But if you have the time to ask both, I like that because you have a bar, you, you, you're setting a bar for, we've solved this already. Where are they against this bar? The second question, you haven't solved it yet. And you're assuming or you're making a judgment on their decision, you know, so, or on their idea. So you, you, you don't know the answer really yet, I, but I do like both. But, but this whole
1: concept, and I love where you're going is, and, and we talk about this is why wouldn't you get an ROI, a return on investment of your time in an interview? Why wouldn't I be interviewing you and asking you specific questions that keep me up at night? Cause I, I think some people get into this and they would never share a real life case study because of the, you know, the, the vulnerability of it or, or whatnot. But we, I look at this and say, this is return on investment. I want, I'm going to, I'm hoping that I'm meeting very smart people that are going to advise me right now and in the future of my business.
2: Yeah. I, I, you, you know, you, there, there is, there, any smart person is going to have ideas and thoughts. And there's no reason why you shouldn't extract that. And if you can make some time in the interview for that. You, you're actually then creating interest in the interview for yourself and the other people in the room. Because what are they gonna say? Where is the, you know, is there a gem gonna come out of this? Mm-hmm. Whether we hire them or not.
1: Yes, that, that's right. Because you, you want both sides of the fence. How have you shown up in the past? We're looking for great customer service here. And so tell me a time you were empathetic. Tell me another time, tell me another time, you know? And then there's, how are you gonna solve problems? How are you going to be help our customers with a compassion, empathetic, what would you do? You know, that's when the, I guess it becomes, in these cases, it becomes hypothetical to the individual, but it's real life for us, right?
2: Yeah, I think the problem with interviews is people don't give them enough uh, attention pre-work. So, you know, people, okay, here's the CV, all right, good, the resume, okay, go, interview. Uh, I've got seven standard questions, that that, that that all right, next, versus, all right, let's design some clever, clever questions. And let's make sure that we extract the value out of this and evaluate the candidate.
1: And what about those? And I'm sure this came up in your interview. I'd love to hear some stories, but those who don't do it all through the interview. And what I mean by that is, you know, again, I'm going to go back to Southwest. I love, you know, their process. So, you know, they really want to know that you can connect to the customer and that you're compassionate and empathetic. And so, what they do, Red, is, and I don't know if you know the story, but if, if you're coming to the Southwest office for an interview, Everybody knows you're coming for an interview. The person who greets you knows that takes you to maybe the wrong boardroom. You order a coffee. Someone else brings that coffee, and it might be the wrong coffee. Maybe it's a tea. And how do you react to that? The person who brings you to the next place. So so everyone debriefs that behind the scenes interaction with you that wasn't in the interview. What do you what do you think of strategies like that? And and did the people you interviewed implement some very, you know, strategic approaches that weren't just the one on one interview?
2: Yeah, so they're, they're, there's a company called Next Jump. Um, they, they're originally a US company, and they're part of a, um, a very small group of companies known as Deliberately Developmental Organizations, DDOs. There's a book called An Everyone Culture that I recommend everybody read because it will blow your mind from a culture perspective. What's but it actually-
1: called? Everyone Culture?
2: and Everyone Culture by okay. Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. Um, and it's 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 incredible. It's Next Jump, Bridgewater, and uh, Decurion are the three companies that are profiled in a big way in, in these organo- in this book. And um, what Next Jump do? They they have what they call Super Saturday, where they get multiple uh, they get multiple candidates in, and the whole team, thirty people, twenty people, are working with these candidates as part of the interview process for the day. And actually, they've got they've got an app that they that they score these people on continually interactions conversations questions you know they'll go candidate x score on the app candidate y score on the app and they, they're so at the end of the day they actually have a, uh, a war room where you can see which candidates are trending up trending down which candidates are it's, it's brilliant Wow. And, and
1: it, is, Brad, is this a public forum? So all 10 answer one question or what does it look like in real life?
2: No, it'll, it'll be in some cases there are deliberate questions, but in other cases, it's just, this is where the interaction I had thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, flat, you know, it's, it's a, mm. it's literally a, um, and if, and if there is a, if there's something that, that, that somebody wants to highlight like negative behavior or uh, poor response or awesome response then they will actually They'll put in. This is the situation. This is what happened. Yeah, I love that. But it's it's just it's just these touch points over the course of eight hours where 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 you can just see how some candidates just rise to the top and other candidates completely crash.
1: Very interesting. We we had a another guest, John DeJulius. I don't know if you he runs a, um, a customer service revolution um, um, conference. He's got one coming up, I think, in September in Cleveland, and he was talking about doing. Um, interviews um, where where the candidates are on the same room. And I was like, ah, oh, that just seems so awkward. And he says, you know, and and we'll ask a question. And depending on what role we're looking for, if it's a leadership role, you see who's going to stand out of the crowd. And the other thing that they looked for um, was how people interacted with each other. Like if you gave, you know, you and I are in the room and you gave an answer and, and, and maybe it was the wrong answer, and I kind of looked over, made a face, and was like, "Oh, Ron it gone, right?" Like they would watch how people treated and inter- interacted. Have you heard that too, or is it uh- exactly
2: what Next Jump do? So Next okay. Jump will have, will have twenty people in a room, and what and what I like about them is they're looking for grit, they're looking for determination, they're looking for humility, they're looking for learning, and so they'll do one of the examples is they may they may randomly assign teams, ask them to do a presentation. Give them feedback, and then ask them to do another presentation, and see how they adapt to the feedback they got, both as individuals and as a group. And there you see the humility come in. You see, it. so the people who are quiet, they may go and say, "You know, you need to you need to stand up for your ideas a little bit more." And see an hour later, do they stand up for their ideas a little bit more or not? So it's 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 beautiful to watch. Actually, I've been lucky enough to go in and 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 watch these, and it's incredible to see. It's uh, oh yeah. Fascinating. The, the psychology of it is, is mind-blowing. Mind so so
1: give, us, you know, give us an overview of some of the other incredible strategies that people are utilizing to own their culture and develop a better culture. What's some of the best stuff you've seen, the, more, more like what we're talking about here?
2: So a, a slightly different example is um, a, a CEO, a, a lady named Alicia Navarro was the CEO of Skimlinks. And um, they, when they, they raised um, a big enough round to, to have their own office and to spend a bit of money on the office, she designed the office so that the kitchen area was in the middle of the office. And in the center of the kitchen area was a toaster. And the toaster was there because when you, when you smell the smell of toast in the morning, you're either in your home or in a hotel. Where you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel you know almost a, fam- a family type feeling, and that's what she wanted to pro- what what she wanted to project was this family type feeling. So some CEOs go to that level of detail to to really drive their culture home. Um, another a, a couple of examples of of companies learning how they said one thing and actually delivered the other was. Um, a company called Gideon, run by a guy named Martin Rurink in Amsterdam, they transparency was 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 one of their one of their values, and they were very big on it. You know, open numbers uh, on a monthly basis, you know, talking about successes, failures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, both personally and as, a, as an organisation. One day, one of the one of the just a general member of the team came to him and said, Martin, what do you and the senior leadership team talk about? The Monday morning meetings. What are the decisions that are taken there? And he answered the question, and then he was slightly taken aback because actually that shouldn't be a question that should be asked if you're a transparent business. So he went back to the person who, who asked him the question, and said, "Would you mind coming in and sitting in on our meetings? And the only thing I'd like I'm going to ask you to do is to report to the to the company on, on on a weekly basis for a couple of months, and then we'll bring somebody else in." And that they instituted that so that. Every, every two or three months or six months, I can't remember now, they have somebody sit, in, they, they, they have changed somebody and somebody's sitting in on their, on their weekly meetings so that there is full transparency.
1: I like that. That's great. It's good good strategy. You know, remind me a little bit of, I don't know if you've read um, Nine Lies About Work, Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. Have you read that book? I haven't. It's excellent. We've had Ashley on the show. And <clears throat> one of their lies that they talk about is best plan wins. And they say it's it's BS. It doesn't work because when you get in the C-suite, and you, oh, there you go, boom, you got starting.
2: it. Starting literally, I'm just starting it right now. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's, look, that was probably my favorite book of I guess it was 2020 or maybe 2019 when that came out. Loved it. And so one, I won't spoil the book for you, but one of those lies is best plan wins. Which you know we go from the C-suite and then goes to mid-level management, execute, execute, and they said it's all wrong. You need to once this, you know, once you've des- designed your strategy, whatever it's going to be, you push it down as quick as possible. You engage yeah. the front lines, get them right there, let them know what you need help with, and and not just tell them what to do and how to do it. And I love that. I think he was spot on.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I am um, there. There's one of the really cool ones was uh, there's a guy named Mark Organ who. Um, he founded Lockware and sold it to Oracle for $871 million and, and said to me, I, I only started working on building my culture in year five. And by then, the bad elements of the culture were, were really embedded and I had to work hard to undo them. So he started a company called Influitive and he said from day one, we invested in defining our values. And actually, after a couple of months, he bought out his co-founder. Because he, they realized that the the the, the, the there was a, a mismatch in the values and how they interpreted the values. So I'm from excited. from day one, get you know it's not working. I'm going to buy you out. Thanks. Let's you know let's start again. But he actually he threatened to fire people if they didn't if they couldn't demonstrate to him that they'd taken three weeks holiday a year. Wow, that was his. This that was, was so business. important. I'm going to fire you if you don't take three weeks holiday.
1: That means aggressive, but I understand. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, it, it. I I feel like I went through a similar thing. My past business uh, was in the private security industry, and we didn't. We had a default culture before we tried to design the culture. It took ten years, and I had the company for fifteen. So the last five years were just a completely different business. And then when I was starting new companies everything is by design. I wouldn't start a company, to your point, Brad, I would not start without having defined values, which define the culture, define purpose, uh, all those things. Uh, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't even do it. I wouldn't open, open the doors until that was all sorted out. Not to say, and, and it's interesting because there's an evolution. You know, we just went from our strategy planning session this week, we had two days, and we go back and we look at our values. Because I think From my experience today, one of the best times to revisit your values is in two occasions. One is you've let someone go that didn't live your values. And then the question is, what did they do? Why didn't they live? Well, you know, Brett never took responsibility, pointed the fingers at everyone else. So we would take that moment to upgrade our values and say, we need to now implement that. You take responsibility and own it every time. We want to protect ourselves. But the other side of that is sometimes you have an employee who joins who is just doing something incredible that has enhanced the team, enhanced the company, and that becomes a new standard. Let's put that in our values. Are you seeing that? Is that part of the process? When, when, you, when should companies go back and, and re-engage their values? Because I think some look at it as, no, it's done. It was done and it's over.
2: Yeah, so actually, it's interesting you you bring up that example of when you get rid of somebody for not you know actually Mark Organ again. That's one every time they got rid of a senior executive, they would sit down and re reevaluate their values.
1: How do you um, protect yourself from that happening again? It should be in the values.
2: Exactly, um, and what I'm what I'm seeing is so what, what I do with my clients is every six months we just we just take the temperature. What's happening? Are the behaviors still relevant? Are the values still relevant? We've hired another 20 people. How are we doing? Are, is the culture moving in a slightly different direction? What's demonstrating that? And, you know, is that, should we pull it back or do we now start to think about changing our, our values? The values values are, are, are wonderful because they are more consistent. They, they're they more consistent over time, but they definitely not always set in stone. I completely agree with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So um, Brett, what else, you know? What else that we haven't talked today uh, about that you think is extremely important for, for our listeners that that would drive a lot of value to them?
2: I think the I think the, I think understanding that this pandemic we're going through has changed is changing your culture. The culture you had pre-pandemic is not the same as the culture you have now during the pandemic, and won't be the same as your culture post-pandemic. And so. If you were lucky enough and fortunate enough to have invested in your culture pre pandemic you're probably finding this easier as a transition, but it's really important to double down on mission vision values because people don't concentrate as well now. You know, there's all sorts of things popping up on my screen. I'm not hearing what you're saying because I'm, my child is over there or the dog or somebody just buzzed or whatever it is. You know, I'm at home and I've got all these interferences. So that over-indexing on communication and reminding people about your vision and mission and values and what you're doing and why you're doing it for and what the underlying why is, is, you know, is really critical right now. And then when you move ultimately to a hybrid model or a fully remote model is actually to build a culture, to re-engineer your culture for that space because it's not the same. It can't be the same. Documentation won't be the same. Process definition won't be the same. Communication collaboration, social connection won't be the same. Even I'm seeing CEOs who think that when we finally go back to what the new normal will be, which is hybrid, I can run my business the same way. You can't, because you will have remote work people all the time working. And sometimes people will be working remote, either a small percentage or a large percentage. And if you treat them like second class citizens, they are gonna go to a place where they can be a first class citizen.
1: That's interesting. You know, and I think a lot about this, and 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 quite frankly, I think larger—I don't know how to label this—old school, old structure uh, organizations are going to have the biggest impact in what you just talked about. I feel really lucky. We were a little virtual. We were basically virtual before. We had an office, shared space that you could use, not use. So we didn't miss a beat, but we did change. I think everybody's going to change. And for us, you know, if I had to, if someone said, "What was the biggest change, Ron?" It would have moved towards. Looking at the whole individual versus just the at work performance of the individual. So, you know, we've implemented um, coaching, outside coaching to help people as the individual doesn't have to be work related and physical coaching, one-on-one trainer, you know? So these were small things that we started to implement as we started to say, we we need to care about the whole person and be purposeful about that versus just Brett at work. What do you think about that? Does that make sense? Is that something everybody should be doing?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's critical and actually to take that coaching one step forward to your mid level managers or your your senior managers. um, There's there's been a bunch of studies demonstrating that the leadership uh, traits required for in person office based work are not the same as the leadership traits required for remote or hybrid work. It's much more about actually being a coach. So actually, I would I would I would give people coaching. And I would also teach them how to be coaches mm. themselves, so that they create the environment for their colleagues or their 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 line, you know, their direct line, to fulfill their potential. This is is there's, there's a nuance here that that most companies, most leaders are not thinking about yet. And I love the idea of you know, of, of giving that coaching and treating people, looking at their full selves. I think well-being is you know we everybody's under stress, everybody's an, under anxiety. Mm. This is such an, this is almost like being at war.
1: Right, right.
2: Uh, you just can't see, you can't hear the bullets.
1: Yeah. And, and look, I changed my my perspective on that because, and, and I'm just using this phrase, but I think there's kind of surface coaching and deep coaching. Deep coaching is really like having patience and, Brett, I'm going to help you bring out the best in yourself. I'm going to go deep with this blind spot and help you through the process. And and you know through the the book we're releasing in sixty days, uh, scaling culture. And I don't know if you read uh, Greg Thompson's book, Master Coach. It's unbelievable. I mean, I just read that book. I was like, I am not a good coach. It was a, a big aha moment for me. Um, and I've got to spend some time with Greg and really get to understand what coaching was. And through all of that, I was going to go from we need to train people how to be coaches here. To okay, there's an aspect that I think is important, and we, we we certainly have process around that. But we went outside to find expert coach. You know that was the decision we made, right? I just don't think we're. I'm not going to be as good as we we use a, a gal Justine, um, and she's ten times a coach I'm ever going to be. And I think that's more valuable objectively to the organization.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think I think that both coaching as as an individual one to one, but demonstrating that you can learn to coach people. Um, I think both of those are, are important. I do think that one-to-one a coach or therapist or you know that kind of thing, I think is incredibly valuable right now. It's it's you know top of the agenda for most people. Just they just want to be able to talk about their situation and their stresses. It's it's you know th- th- these are strange times.
1: Absolutely. Well, Brett, look, where, um, where do people find you? Where, where do we get your book uh, for our listeners today? Where do they find more about you and the work that you do?
2: So I'm, uh, people can reach out to me on my website. It's www.culturegene.ai. Um, actually, and if, if people want to reach out to me directly and just talk culture, I love, you know, it's my passion. I, I, you know, you and I could do this for another five hours if listeners would listen, but they wouldn't. Um, they
1: may. They may, Brett. We don't know. <laughs> we'll just put this on a loop and see who stayed. <laughs>
2: so, so people could reach me, reach me at brett at culturegene.ai. Um, Own Your Culture is available on Amazon. Um, and I've my uh, first book, which is called Culture Dex Decoded, is also available on Amazon. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Clubhouse. So yeah, reach out to me always happy to talk culture it's it's, uh, it, it's it's the thing i'm going to do until the day i die
1: love it well brett it's great to meet you and thanks for dropping in today
2: likewise thanks ron
0: for more information about brett putter please go to culturegene.ai or connect with him on linkedin or by email at brett at culturegene.ai for more information about the scaling culture podcast or our upcoming masterclass or second book scaling culture go to connollyowens.com our scaling culture masterclass teaser comes out this week on youtube and modules will get released every few weeks over the coming months starting with culture-driven screening and onboarding we can't wait and if you're enjoying the scaling culture podcast please subscribe and share we'll be back next week with another incredible guest